Welcome to the Trying Again podcast, a story of miscarriage. I'm Rachel Smith. This is a podcast of passion as I explore a usually silent world and decide whether I want to try again following multiple miscarriages. If you're new to trying again and want the full story, I recommend going back to episode one and listening through, else some of this might not make any sense. The conversations in this episode will be frank. I guess we were lucky enough that we were able to kind of have a wooden burial for um, our unborn child, and we went through that process only two weeks ago. And they may be difficult. We could tell pretty much straight away that it was taking a bit longer than usual, and she just turned around to us and said that basically she couldn't find the heartbeat. But they are needed. There are many men who describe themselves as being invisible. When they when they when they go through a miscarriage, it's like they're not there. If we accept that there's a silence around miscarriage for women, then it is impossibly silent for men. I've touched on this with Professor Ari Kumasari, director of the Thomas National Centre for Miscarriage Research. We need to work with men to find out what miscarriage does to them and how is it that we can support them best. Um, so I think this is again work that we we are doing within the. Tommy Center. There are many men who describe themselves as being invisible. You know, when they when they when they go through a miscarriage, it's like they're not there. You know, uh, the doctor doesn't speak with them. The, you know, the midwives and the nurses will focus on the woman, and um, and that, that's you know one can understand why that may be. But uh, you know, as I said, the physical manifestation may be uh, it may be in the woman, mm. but the psychological manifestations are generally in both partners, you know, and it doesn't take a lot to, uh, to recognize that and, you know, and, and, uh, and inquire about, you know, how the, the male partner is doing. And I'm, I'm glad that that was, that was done. And I think this is something that, uh, you know, while I'm talking with you, I'm just making a mental note that I think this is something that we should emphasize mm. and, and we should really, uh, when we uh, de- develop the, the kind of miscarriage care package for, um, uh, you know, for use throughout the country, I think we should bring this in into into the recommendations that you know we would we would be making. I felt this was an important topic to explore, and I also felt it was best to hand the microphone over to Lee. Hi, I'm new to this, so please bear with me. There is very little out there really for men. The UK charity Tommy's are looking into it. In a recent post on their website. They say that 1 in 12 of men and partners experience long-term post-traumatic stress after losing their baby. It goes on to say that 38% of new dads worry about their mental health. Tommies are hoping to develop a hub for dads and partners to provide specialist support following baby loss. We wanted to look into this topic more, and so Rachel put out some feelers to people happy to share their story. This is when I met Mike. It was a week before Christmas when we went in for a scan. Um, expecting everything to be fine because there'd been no issues whatsoever in the pregnancy. And then the sonographer, obviously, we, we could tell pretty much straight away that it was taking a bit longer than usual. And she just turned around to us and said that basically she couldn't find the heartbeat. Um, we'd been the previous, previous weeks, the previous scans, we'd seen the heartbeat and then obviously just devastated that the heartbeat was no longer there. Um, so that was our first miscarriage together. Yeah. So Ellie's eight pregnancies in total. And we were just obviously devastated. 
Um, we then went home to, to our families at Christmas time and told them what happened. Obviously not wanting to put a downer on Christmas, but they also needed to know what we were going through. Yeah. So we tried fairly soon after and then went through another miscarriage three months later. And then we tried again and three months later again, we had another miscarriage. So that was kind of three miscarriages within the space of six months. And I think from my perspective, that was obviously, it was heartbreaking for me. Um, but Elliot already been through this quite a lot of times already. Um, so I was trying to support her and she was, she was kind of, I suppose she'd, she'd just done it all before. She'd had that disappointment. And even though it was as heart-wrenching each time, I think the fact that Ellie had been through it before, that kind of helped me in a certain way. Um, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> we were basically told, um, lose some weight and keep trying. I just don't understand how how that was in any way the right thing to tell us that even after 10 miscarriages, all you need to do is keep trying because you're young. Yeah. Um, so we found that quite difficult to take. And obviously we desperately wanted to have children. And we kind of then um, found out about a clinical trial. Um, our kind of hopes for having a child were quite low, but we still felt it important that our experience didn't go to waste and that we still wanted to help anybody else in the same situation. So we ended up going forward for this clinical trial. And at the end of this clinical trial, which is obviously, it had its own kind of worries and anxiety along with it. But at the end of that trial, we then had our first son. The pregnancy itself was like just full of anxiety, I think. Um, yeah. Kind of every single scan appointment we had, um, neither of us slept for at least the night before, maybe a couple of nights before. Um, we were just kind of working up to it. Um, and all the way throughout pregnancy, I don't think we really relaxed about it. And it was amazing to finally have that baby in your arms um, after all that anxiety and previous loss. Yeah. So yeah, we're extremely lucky that we do have our boys. We we ended up having um another boy later. Um we were just so grateful for our first child that we decided to take part in a few more um research projects. Yeah. Um so we 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 know that we're incredibly lucky that we've got two children at the end of our pregnancy journey. When Ellie was going through this as men, we don't go through the physical um, experience that obviously the women mm -hmm. go through. Um, how was it on the actual relationship side of things? I think because the the way that we went into the relationship with Ellie being very open about her previous history of miscarriage, it kind of it very it really helped that she'd been so open about that. Yeah. Um. I obviously went into the relationship knowing full well that this was going to be a difficult thing to achieve for us to have children. 
Um, but yeah, I was obviously I was desperate to try and help support Ellie as much as possible and trying to kind of stay, stay strong because as you say, yeah, we're not going through it physically ourselves, but emotionally, yeah, you need to be there for your partner. Yeah. Um, I think in my family, we're not really very good at talking about our emotions. Um, I think, and then when I do talk about it, I'm often quite emotional and will kind of burst out and like cry and things like that. So, um, I think, yeah, trying to stay strong for your partner, but then you also need to like talk to other people about how you were feeling as well. Yeah. And letting your emotions out. I think before our first child came along, I think we were at a stage where we were kind of thinking, this is our last chance. Um, and that emotionally and physically, she was kind of nearing the end of trying again. Like, right. I don't think, I don't think we'd have been able to try much more after that if we hadn't been successful. I yeah. think. The fact that Aiden, our boy Aiden, came along then, that changed everything. Um, I think once he had come along and we'd been successful at once, that then gave us renewed hope that we could be successful again. Um, I think if maybe if we hadn't been successful then, perhaps we would have stopped trying. Did you have support from family, friends? Um, any kind of professional sort of support? Um, we didn't have any professional support really at all. Um, I don't think that we even knew that there would be that support out there yeah. unless it was kind of more along the lines of counselling, like grief counselling. Yeah. Um, so we never really took up any counselling at all. Um, it was just the support of family and friends that we would speak to them about. And I think I initially found it a lot harder to talk about. Yeah. We would tell our friends and family early on. So basically, as soon as we got a positive test, we would tell family and friends, like yeah. close friends, because if the worst happened, we would need that support. And my mum at one point said, <laughs> kind of, um, I, I do wish that you wouldn't tell me early on because it just, it, like a pregnancy is long enough as it is. And so she just had the worry as well. Oh, right, so yeah. we kind of knew that we were also putting our worries and our concerns onto family. How did you move forwards um, after after the miscarriages? Um, just it, it was just really difficult. Um, you in the immediate kind of when you first find out that your partner's miscarried. It's it's just such a big shock to the system, kind of. Whenever you find out that your partner's pregnant, you like both of you together, you spend the next kind of, you spend the time thinking about, oh well, what what's going to happen over the next nine months? So you kind of already have that plan in place of, oh, we can't do this anymore. We're going to be doing this instead, and so you kind of already have like your, your the next nine months, and even longer, kind of forming in your head you kind of have this picture of what your life is going to be like and then when your partner miscarries that's suddenly all kind of taken away from you so it's quite difficult in the immediate aftermath to kind of readjust I suppose and 
you're there trying to help your partner through it as best you can. Um, and I suppose after a while, you one of you kind of approaches the subject of, well, are we going to try again? When are we going to try again? How long do we leave it? And I think for me in our situation, I kind of always was led by my partner Ellie. Um, I didn't feel that it was kind of, it was kind of always how Ellie was feeling about things that kind of led the way. We were, we were always quite lucky because I'm, I'm self-employed, so I work from home and like if, if we needed time off together to go through the grieving process and just to, just to be there straight afterwards, I was always able just to take that time off, no questions asked, yeah. and that would be fine. But for, I suppose, lots of other men, if they're, if they're at work, like how, how do they then talk to their bosses, employee, employers about that? How do they then get the time off that they also need to be there with their partner and, and to grieve? Because it's a loss at the end of the day, isn't it? So. Yeah. That's it. I, I, that takes me back to, uh, our first, um, missed miscarriage you know i I work uh normal shifts but obviously there wasn't that facility um for me to support uh rage as as a you know as i wanted to it was kind of like i had to go back to work there Mm -hmm. wasn't that understanding that um what rachel was actually going through physically for me to be able to support her so mm-hmm. it was obviously the support when I got back from work was absolutely fine. You know, I could be there, do things, you know, help out. I could be there for that, but not obviously as a day-to-day, you know, working week. I, I couldn't really take any time off. And I think for, for, for lots of men, that'll be the case that if if their companies or whoever they work for doesn't really understand kind of the situation and if, I suppose it depends how open people are about discussing it as well. Why do men, well, men in general, I'm generalizing, but why do men find it difficult really to talk about health in general, but also mental health um, and obviously the big taboo around baby loss? I think it's just about not wanting to (laughs) appear vulnerable, I suppose. We've always got this idea that men have to be you have to be strong and stoic and you can't show any signs of any vulnerability but <laughs> we're all human and we i think that needs to change we all have feelings we all have emotions and i think men should be encouraged to talk about things more yeah yeah and even though i found it really difficult to talk about initially i think it's it has been very beneficial to do that so even if you do find it difficult to talk about, I think I think it's something that you still need to do. And also, um, last year, I decided to uh, run the Great North Run um, and raise money for Tommy's. Um, Brilliant. And so there, there was also, um, Tommy's had set up kind of support groups on the, like for the Great North Run as well. And I think they do it for uh, all of their kind of fundraising activities. Um, so that was also kind of a, an area of support for you. So obviously people were talking about running, but it also came up kind of people's reasons why they were running. 
And so that was like another form of support. And again, I think that would be quite helpful for people. If people are able to talk about it openly, you can find support in some kind of unexpected places. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, I haven't really explained my story or talked to anybody about my story. Um, Apart from just the the basic family and friends circle that I've got. I mean, it's obviously Mm -hmm. me and Rachel talk a lot about it and have done over the you know, the last couple of years, but um, it's nice to hear somebody else with the same story, but it's not the same, if you get what I mean. So it just kind of rings true everything that you have been talking about. Um, well, I think that's, that's part of it. I think kind of we need more awareness of things like that, of support groups. So not only Tommy's, but like the Miscarriage Association and Sam's and those other groups. Um, I think there needs to be more awareness of them and signposting to them when couples are going through a miscarriage. Yeah. Simple things like more signposting and awareness to what Tommy's do and the other organizations. Yeah. I think that that would be amazing. You know, even if it was something as basic as uh, this is what's happening, you know, this is what, 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 what could be happening in the next few days. This is what to expect, you know, I think that's needed not just for men but for the women also kind yeah, of Yeah, absolutely. When when Ellie was when we were going through the miss miscarriage, like obviously I was there at the scan with her, so we both were in that room together. Yeah. But with some women, if they go to that scan on their own and they're on their own during that discussion, like you you're so caught up in that moment and distraught about what just happened, you might they might not be in that place to take on that information. I mean, even when me and Rachel were in the room um, getting told that the the horrible news, mm-hmm. um, I might have been more in tune to listening while Rachel's obviously a little bit more stressed and panicked by the scenario. I I actually ended up having to repeat some of the things to Rachel to for her to digest later on. You know, well, no, they mm-hmm. didn't say that. They said this. Um, and just a bit of reassurance because it isn't documented what you're actually talking about. It's it's um, it's it's all conversation on the day, and you've yeah. got to take that information at a, an extremely stressful time, and try and try and remember what that you've been kind of told or look, what to look forward to in the future or not to look forward to. That was our experience up here in Newcastle, and from what we've heard and discussed on groups and from what you're saying, kind of. That seems to be a, a, like across the whole country that people aren't really given that information. Yeah. But yeah. that, that just, and you kind of wonder, well, just why not? Kind of, it's surely it's not that difficult to be able to do it. And that's not slating the NHS or anything. No, it's just that they're under so much pressure. And yeah, but for, for the Tommy's team, it's it's something that they're, yeah, they're, they're really good at, I think. Whilst looking around, Rachel also saw posts on Instagram from Simon on the feed, The Faulty Father. We had one child to IVF, uh, which was successful, um, and we went through the whole process of IVF, um, and we really struggled to conceive naturally. Um, and then, um, lo and behold, three to four years later, after we'd gone through the IVF uh, process, we conceived. Um, about uh, 12 to 13 weeks ago, we uh, found out that we were going to have another child um, naturally, um, and we were overly excited. 
obviously uh, you get very cautious about things if you don't have you aren't able to conceive naturally a lot so you are always cautious of kind of uh, over optimistic uh, but we were uh, we were very excited um, but unfortunately um, at the 12 week point when we were on holiday um, we discovered that uh, my wife was having complications um, which then led to a few hospital visits um, which uh, then led unfortunately to a miscarriage um, at the 12 week period. It's the first miscarriage that we've had. Um, and um, it's uh, put a lot of strain on obviously the uh, family um, um, on life, how to deal with it, um, in particular within the COVID uh, world as well. We've gone through quite a traumatic time and a, quite a traumatic period. Um, and really, um, I've been on a journey um, ever since, trying to really um, wrap my head around it, um, really trying to see what support is there for the male and what support is there for the partner. I'm on a journey to try and to try and understand more, to try and understand what next. I guess is the question which I would like to answer. Is kind of um, how do we try again? Do we try again? Um, are there any complications? Um, should we put ourselves through the trauma again of potentially going through this? Um, and I guess that's the open question that we've got 12 to 13 weeks later um, is um, are we going to put ourselves through this again, I guess? The Instagram account, uh, The Faulty Father. Yeah. Is that part, would you say that's a, a stepping stone for you in terms of what you're looking for? Yeah, it is really. It's a it's a place where I could um I could share my feelings, try and kind of connect with um I guess like minded people that were going through it as well. Um, I didn't really know anything about it to tell you. So it's a bit of a hidden world. Um, and I was amazed as I began to delve quite into the subject of how frequent i guess um everyone goes through the situation you tend to have blinkers on when you're in your own little bubble um and you don't realize who's actually gone through it from your friend group but also in the wider community how many people are actually going through exactly the same situation yeah i didn't have anyone to talk to really i didn't understand it um and it was really just on the back of me trying to have a voice without um without kind of judgment without anything um also to try and kind of connect with a wider audience um just to try and learn some hints and some tricks and some tips and some insight and some learnings um anywhere just to connect and really just if i can um if one thing i say has an impact on one person then it's been worthwhile where did you, if you don't mind me asking, where did you think of or getting the name from? Um, I don't uh, tend to do much in the world of social media, to tell you the truth. I try and keep out of it. Um, it was basically a name where I'm a, um, I am a father. Um, I have a lot of faults and I have a lot of issues. Um, we've gone through the IVF scenarios. We've gone through the whole treatment of IVF. We've gone through the IUI treatment. 
you know, the waiting with the NHS, the, you know, the torment of every month having to find out that your wife's not pregnant. We've gone through the whole kind of miscarriage part now. Um, and it's really just trying to, I guess, add a bit of light, um, heartedness in the naming, but kind of having that meaning behind it, which is quite deep. Um, yeah. and that's why I'm all about trying to raise awareness for obviously the miscarriage now, um, and also mental health as well. Um, yeah, because I think it's, it's a taboo subject still, which is a real shame. And a lot of people try and raise the awareness, but a lot of people that I've spoke to who uh, do not want people to know that they've gone through miscarriage or do not want um, anyone to know that they've gone through. And that's in their own private kind of life and that's their own prerogative. But if you don't share, then you don't learn and you don't open yourself up to help and kind of confiding in people who you don't necessarily know um, who who can help you more sometimes than the people that you do know. Yeah, yeah. So going over your experience, what would you say that's one of the main contributors in how you are going through the process of the grief sort of side of things? Um, yeah, I'm still going through it. Um, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, if I'm honest, I go through it on a daily basis. Um, we were looking, um, I guess we were lucky enough that we were able to kind of have a wooden burial for um, our unborn child. Um, and we went through that process only two weeks ago. Um, and we are able to have a place where we could go and kind of attribute one um, and really put them to rest. Um, and then I'm really on the beginning of the journey. Um, I'm in the grief. Um, I'm in the curve still. I don't really know where I am. So I'm trying to learn how to cope with it. Um, and this is probably one of the hardest points in my life that I'm trying to get my head around. Um, I guess that's why I also, I also created the account because I wanted to get my head around kind of how do other people deal with it? How do people process it? Um, you build this idea of your future and then the future is taken away from you. And then how do you process that part of it? Uh, you know, because you do have to move on. Yeah. In particular, um, I'm lucky enough to have a daughter. I'm extremely lucky and I'm grateful every day. Um, however, we've, uh, we plan to move on to the next phase and that's been taken away and it's been taken away from my daughter as well. So that's a different part of the story that we're trying to cope with as well. Are you sharing the Instagram thing or is it mainly just for yourself? The Instagram is purely for me. It's a way for me to cope. It's a way for me to connect. It's a way for me to kind of look at what's happening in the world and add, add a bit of meaning to the reason why. Um, and really just try and discover. I guess the problem that we have in the current situation is that, uh, we went through two different journeys on the miscarriage. So with my wife, we had to drop her off at, at the hospital at about three o'clock in the morning. And then I wasn't allowed to stay, so I, I basically had to go back to the holiday lodge, which then meant that I wasn't there for the whole kind of process as well, which almost put us on two separate paths. So my wife was on this path yeah. that she'd had a chance to kind of almost grieve um, after it had happened. Um, and we were just communicating on, on via WhatsApp and via text message, um, and we had one phone call, and that's it. 
whereas my journey was I was at home. I was I was almost waiting for the inevitable. And that's I think why we're on two different paths. Uh we do talk and we do actually go through the whole process and we're and we're very tight knit and we speak to each other, but I think it's a way for me to cope and she supports the way that I cope. Um and I support the way that she copes. We cope in two different ways. I'm a bit more open and honest and I want to try and get more insight and kind of put my feelings out there. Whereas I think she's a bit more reserved and she's dealing with it well. Yeah. Um, I would say I'm probably the, uh, the opposite. I mean, obviously with, with the whole COVID scenario, things are extremely different at the, uh, at the hospitals and, and the places you need to get to. Um, and it is that extra challenge in the communication between obviously the pair mm-hmm. of you. Um, yeah. What would you say is the most important part of getting the, the man's sort of side of things out there? Yeah, I think you just need to be open and honest. I think too many times um, in any um, in any scenario, uh, um, I think we need to have a voice, whether it's a partner. I just call them partners. Um, um, I think partners have to have a voice and uh, they should have some uh, they should have some form of support as well because we're all going through this in um horrible situation also in a horrible in a horrible period but um in my scenario I almost was not part of it um and I wasn't really brought into any any offering of kind of support, um, anything like that. So I didn't really know what the options were. Um, and it's really just actually realizing that there are men out there that are going through this. There are men out there that are willing to speak about it, um, and be open and honest. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's the most important thing because you have a tendency to kind of block things away and say it's okay. Um, and I've gone through that in the past. Um, and it gets to a point when things aren't okay. So if you can learn to accept it and almost process it, and I guess that's the part that I'm going through now is how do I process this information or how do I process this this almost kind of reality that my new uh, that my new reality isn't what I'd, I'd been visioning it for for 12 weeks. You know, we weren't going to be buying in you know, a you know, we weren't going to be buying the new buggies. We weren't going to be going and buying the well, my baby clothes and all, all that aspect, which is uh, the small things, but it's what you look forward to. It's what uh, you, you begin to get excited about. Um, and you shouldn't because it's really early on. And obviously, if you look at all the um, information and, um, around the percentages, um, or well, you realize why you shouldn't do it so early, but, um, I guess you just need to speak out, and there needs to be more people and more kind of figureheads who are who are actually willing to speak out about these things and kind of um, almost be able to share their journey, how how I guess they cope with it, and also about kind of how they go about the next phase as well, right? Because it's it's at what point do you start thinking about trying again for a child? Are you too old? Um, all these kind of books that go through your mind and there's and there's no book written um it's almost you have to piecemeal it together from different posts and different blogs and different kind of instagram accounts and etc etc yeah 
when would you say or when when is the real right time to talk about moving forwards with um obviously originally what you were what what you were doing so we have to start thinking very very seriously about it but it has to be right for the wife um it has to be right for the partner yeah um, i think that's i think that's kind of number one you can't just jump straight in because it's it's emotional it's there are many 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 couples who are going through the same situation who can pass on advice that can pass on information um ever since we decided to tell a few of our friends about it we've actually discovered that there are quite a few of our friends who have actually gone through the situation as well um who we didn't realize um and we've been able to kind of have have a counsel with them i think it's okay not to be okay so you don't have to pretend that you're okay if if you're not okay then just i think you need to accept it um and i would and i wouldn't be scared about it um it's okay to be confused it's okay to not understand it's okay to try and kind of try and wrap your head around the information first or try and wrap your head around what's actually happened because it does take time and I don't think 12 to 13 weeks is actually long enough for me to get my head around it and I've gone through some situations which have been a bit more in depth than this but um and I've been able to deal with them quicker um I think this is a different I think this is a different ball game I think this I don't think anything can prepare you for this yeah. um I'm not, um, I'm not afraid to say that I've cried a lot over it. Um, hard because it's emotional. Um, and it was a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's genuinely probably the, the, the male thing, you know, um, yeah. we're not the best at probably sharing feelings or if we are, it's with people that we, uh, you know, have confidence in sharing things with. Um, that's one big thing. Uh, perhaps a second one is the fact that, um, you know, from a male point of view, they might be thinking that it's more of a, a female thing to do, you know, um, because it, there is obviously a lot of, um, from the female side of things, there's a lot of things online. Um, whereas, like you said, the the the, the male part of it, um, there isn't. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, I guess that goes back down to the support and. And I guess what's available to the partner as well. I mean, I wasn't told what was available to the partner. I had to try and find out myself, yeah. um, in order kind of what support I could actually get, who was available, who you should even speak to. Um, we were just given a card at the hospital and that was it. Uh, there wasn't anything else. You know, we had, you know, we had a telephone call with, with my wife and, um, um, after she told me that she miscarried, we were trying to organise a wooden burial. Um, and in the next kind of two minutes, what do you want to do with it? Do you want to take it home? Do you want to bury it here? It's, um, we hadn't even gone through the grieving process. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the part which gets, I guess this kind of raised my concerns is that in particular in the current time, um, there has to be some form of kind of, I guess, support offered. And there are lots of kind of, um, and there are a lot of bodies that will offer that support, but you need to find them yourself. And that's not helpful if, if you're not very good at 
kind of opening up and being able to look at that and actually realizing that. Yeah. Um, it would have been nice just to have a call from somebody or just to have, have a card for myself just to say he's an association that you can talk to or he's a support kind of organization that you can talk to as a man or you can talk to as a woman or you can talk to as a partner, whatever, you know. Um, I just got to, you know, I didn't get anything. Um, and we go through the same journey. We don't go through the physical aspect, but we do go through the same emotional aspect. Yeah. Um, and that's hard to take, I think, sometimes. Yeah. It's a topic for discussion. Um, and it, um, it is very, very important. Um, um, and it should be there at the top as well. You know, because it can cause a lot of grief. It can cause a lot of anguish. It impacts a lot of people. Um, it can go through a lot of pain. Um, and we just need to be able to have a community, have a support ne- um, have a support mechanism, have awareness. Um, and that goes down from the child, if, if there's a brother or sister involved, um, to the partner, to the wife. For me, this episode was enlightening and also an eye-opener. I felt like I wasn't alone in our journey and also there isn't any more I could do now. Me and Rach do talk to each other and also get frustrated sometimes whilst explaining to people who don't really get it. It was nice to talk to people who have been through what we have been through and listen to their stories. To sum up my thoughts, I would say that if I'd been aware of the social media groups earlier, I may have been able to understand baby loss better. All I did was question everything and I had no answers. This episode was recorded by me and produced by Rachel. The music is Small Bump by Ed Sheeran. Thank you to Professor Ari Kumasari, Director of the Tommy's National Centre for Miscarriage Research, Mike and Simon for their time and honesty. If you're going through it right now, there's links to help available on the website, tryingagainpodcast.com. If you've liked this, please share it. And if you haven't already, provide a rating and comment on your podcast app. It helps others find it. Remember to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode. You can wrap your fingers round.